Welcome to the Love Yourself Naked podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Glubish, and I've been working with women for over two years to help them ditch the diet mentality, find food freedom, and gain a body confidence that they never knew was possible. There is so much information out there about how to eat, how to exercise, and how to live a healthy lifestyle. My goal on the show is to help answer all your questions and provide you the tools you need to live in peace with food and love your body. So if you are ready to discover what it's like to live a life without obsession, you are in the right place. Now let's get to the show. talking about we as in Richard Brown and I I've got him as a guest again on the podcast two weeks in a row, two weeks in a row. yeah um today we're going to be chatting a little bit about our Ironman experience in California as promised if any of you follow me on social media I mentioned that we'd be doing like a full race recap in this episode just so you guys can hear all of the details of the accident and what happened there as well as kind of the aftermath and how things have been since then um and we've got a lot to kind of break down so a lot of like lessons learned um I'm going to talk about how my nutrition has changed since like pre Ironman training for Ironman and then after the race. And there's a couple other things that we just were going to chat about today as well that, um, really like some, I guess like lessons or key takeaways coming out of that experience that are relevant to all of you. So you want to stay tuned till the end. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good episode. So I think, yeah, we're going to quickly recap the race, but in keeping with the theme of the podcast, we are going to have a bit of an intuitive eating food freedom twist on it. So I think it's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Um, funny, actually, I just, I'm going to say this, we didn't plan for this, but in our little pre-chat right before we pressed record, we were kind of talking about what, what we were going to chat about and what the outline of the episode was going to be. And I just have to say, babe, you are like an intuitive eating champion. Like you, I should just hire you. You should just be a food freedom ambassador because the way that you talk about it, it's, I don't know if you've just listened to so many of my podcast episodes or you just obviously hear me talk all the time yeah, or clearly I'm brainwashed. <laughs> yeah. That's what I was trying to say in not those words, but yeah. yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So let's just dive right in. Where do we start? Okay. Well, I think we'll just kind of blow through the Ironman race pretty quick and kind of get to the good stuff. Yeah. The good stuff being her crash. Yeah. That's probably what, what everyone wants to hear about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did a river swim. It was super quick. It was actually crazy how quick it was. Oh, wait. Before that, let's what, what talk about where it was. Oh, okay. The race was down in Sacramento, California. It yeah. was a full Ironman race. Yeah. So, so what does that entail? So 140.6 miles. In total. Which is a, what? A 2.6 mile swim. 2.4 mile swim. 2.4. If you are kilometers, that's a 3.8 kilometer swim. Yeah. Uh, 112 mile bike or 180 kilometers. Yep. Metric. And then to finish with a full marathon. So 42.2 kilometers or 26, 26 miles. miles. Yeah. Um, so this was supposed to be Richard's first Ironman. Well, his first Ironman actually was supposed to be in August in Penticton. But if you know anything about the Okanagan, you might be familiar with the fact that we had a really big wildfire here this summer, which actually caused that race to be canceled. So that race did not go through. So this was meant to be his first. I did my first last year. So this was going to be my second. Um, we did a race earlier this year as well, actually, where Richard got hit by a car. So that it's kind of just been like a crazy, crazy race season. Yeah. Yeah. I've not had good luck with Ironman races this year. No. Better luck next year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so went all the way down to Sacramento. 
the race started amazing. It was like really, really good conditions, I would say. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and a super fast swim because yeah. we were swimming down river, which was amazing. Yeah. So it was honestly, I think for me, it probably took 25 minutes off my usual swim time. Yeah. And probably similarly 25, 30 minutes. So yeah, it's feeling good. Super nice to just like burn through that really quick. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say either of us are like super weak swimmers, but it's not definitely not our strength. So it's definitely one of those things we wanted to just get over with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we kind of burned through that, went on to the bike. Um, I was feeling really good too on the bike. Like yeah, I was too. cruising. Yeah, I was really happy with how I was feeling. My, my stomach felt really good. The nutrition I had planned was yeah. working out really well. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> the rest of the day didn't go so well. Yeah, luck was not in my corner. So in terms of like what actually happened, um, I don't entirely know which has been a difficult experience for me. And I actually had a conversation with someone about that today because it's kind of like when you are sick or when you know something is wrong with you, it almost just brings you a sense of like validation or clarity when there is an answer. And so to not really know what happened, like I didn't get hit by a car. It wasn't a collision with another cyclist. I just remember like being on the ground basically. Um, and there weren't really cyclists around me to, to kind of say what happened. So yeah, I, I don't really know. Just lost control of the bike, I suppose. Um, maybe I might've hit something. I don't, yeah, I don't really know. So anyways, ended up on the ground, um, obviously was in a lot of pain. The first thing that I recognized was hurting was my shoulder. Um, and honestly, even before I was like with it enough to get upset about how much pain I was in. The first thing, like the very first thing I thought about was how sad I was that my race was over. Like I just knew in that moment, I was like, it's over. Because sometimes, you know, you might roll an ankle and you take a second, it hurts initially and you're like, okay, I'm okay. I can keep going. Or maybe, you know, you fall off your bike, but like it's not bad enough that you actually have to stop. Or maybe like you, you get hit by a car and you end up being okay enough that you can keep going. But I think in that moment, I knew that it was done and I was really, really sad and obviously scared. We're in, you know, we're in an international location. Neither of us had our phones. I didn't know where you were in the race. Yeah. There was just so many variables that and, I was thinking about. we literally don't know anybody else there. There's, yeah. It's just you and you and I there. Yeah. There. Yeah. So. Yeah. So it was sad. Um, Luckily, there was somebody that was not far behind me. So he came and stayed with me. And then there was some other cyclists that passed that said they would go get the medics. So it wasn't, I don't, I don't know how much time had passed, maybe 10 minutes, maybe not even five, um, before the medics came and, uh, assessed me. And I was laying on the ground for quite a while because at that point they asked who my emergency contact was. And I said that he was actually doing the race, which is not super helpful. So they were trying to find him. Um, he obviously had no way to like get in touch with him. He's out on his bike as well. So basically in my mind, I was like, the best case scenario is that he just kind of cycles past us because luckily it was a two loop course. So you did 90 kilometers twice. And so I was heading back from my first loop as he was heading out for his second. So I was just honestly trying to kill time and hang out there until you passed because I knew that you would be passing at some point. So yeah, eventually you did. And what was that like? Kind of shocked, honestly. I think 
I, you just see the ambulance. You're like, oh no, who who got in an accident? And then for it to be your girlfriend, on it's kind kind of shocking. So I mean, I have I pull over first thing and kind of ran across the road and see how she was doing. She was obviously in a lot of pain, pretty torn up, but overall like seemed very with it, which I was happy. I always whenever anybody gets in a cycling accident or an accident, I always, I'm always worried about their head and their neck, mm-hmm. just because I mean like a left shoulder injury is horrible and scrapes and bruises are bad but concussion and neck trauma or spinal trauma can be some of the worst so yeah yeah um oh i was i was happy to see that she was still with it uh, but obviously i yeah, just way too much pain to ever consider continuing and she was definitely going to the hospital and i mean at that point especially with nobody else there and, and you know she doesn't have her phone um obviously that meant that i had to be at the hospital too so um, as she was whisked off by the ambulance, I, I headed back to the transition. And unfortunately, I couldn't get a ride there because the road was closed. So the quickest way back was for me to bike back. So I biked back to the transition area. And then from there, I had to run to the finish line, which was a couple <laughs> kilometers away because we had our, our gear bags at the finish line or like our, our dry clothes bag. And it had her phone in it and everything. So I had to run back, get that, come back to the transition, get the keys to the vehicle and then drive to the hospital. So it was a bit of a process. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how long it took me, but maybe like an hour and a half, two hours where I was actually at the hospital. Yeah. Um, which was actually a good time because I think I sat for five or 10 minutes and then Chelsea came out from getting x-rays and all that done. So yeah. it all worked out pretty it good. Was, yeah, it was pretty good timing. Um, and it, it went by, I don't want to say it went by quick because it didn't because I was in pain, but it, yeah, it could have been for sure a lot worse. And I will just say that like, I was super grateful to have you there. And that was a really difficult decision for me to make, to ask you to be there and give up your race. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was a really emotional day for a lot of reasons. Obviously my race ended, I was injured, the repercussion, thinking about the repercussions of that, like my, you know, my rehab and recovery and what that would look like and the effects on work and all of those things. Um, and then obviously also the sadness of knowing that it meant that Richard's race was done as well, which it was supposed to be a really big day. So I think all in all, like it was just, yeah, a lot of emotions, um, an unexpected situation, but something that was out of our control. And I actually had a lot of people reach out after the fact saying that like, they felt like I had a really positive attitude about it and I was handling it really well. And like, don't get me wrong. There were a lot of moments where I've really been struggling. I actually, I didn't even tell you about this yet, babe, but I had um, a call today with one of my cousins who's just like a really, really great support. And um, yeah, just had to call her to be like, I'm really struggling because the emotions just come in waves. Like there are just some moments where it hits me and I'm like, frick, this sucks. Like this really sucks. And it's really sad and it cut our vacation short. And yeah, there was just, there was a lot to navigate with that emotionally. Um, and so one of the things that we actually were going to talk about is the emotional eating response that I slash we had to that experience. Because After the fact, once we had finally left the hospital, which I think was around like 7 p.m., so it was pretty much like an eight-hour shift from the time that they, from the time that the accident happened to the time that we left the hospital. But once we left the hospital, um, we both were starving because we hadn't eaten all day, and so we were like, okay, let's go get some food, and really just wanted to make sure that like we felt 
obviously well-nourished, but comforted. In that moment, the biggest thing was like, yes, I'm hungry and I I want good food, but I also want food that's going to make me feel good. Like I don't want to go eat freaking chicken, rice, and broccoli, even though maybe that would serve my body well and that would replenish some lost nutrients from the day. Like that just wasn't, that just wasn't at the forefront, you know? And so I think, yeah, kind of a conversation that we wanted to have was about emotional eating and destigmatizing it and normalizing it to an extent. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with enjoying food and finding comfort in food. You know, whether it is in this case where, yes, Chelsea was injured, we had to cancel the race, so there's obviously a lot of emotions going on. It's fine to enjoy food in that moment, just like it's fine when we get home from work and we want to have a, a bowl of popcorn, and a bit of ice cream, just because it's the end of the night, it's okay to enjoy food. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't think that just because your emotions are saying this or saying that, that you have to restrict yourself or there's a certain circumstance where you're not allowed this, not allowed that. No, you have to, you listen to your body and if it wants comfort and food, I think as long as you recognize that and you understand the mechanism, it's, it's not a harmful thing and it's not doing any negatives to, to your outlook or your, or your mindset. So I, I think, totally. yeah, just enjoy the food. And I think there's a couple things to just recognize with that too, is like, number one, we establish an emotional connection to food from a very young age. Like when you think about raising babies, what are the typical responses that you would have to a baby crying? Go ahead. You take this one. What are the typical responses that if a baby was crying, yeah. what would you do? Needs to be held. Okay. Changed. Okay. Fed. Fed. Bingo. So we learn from a very young age that food is a source of comfort. That is just, it's not innate because you're not born with that, but but it is. It's safety. That's one of our basic human needs. And so if we don't have food, we are not safe, which means that it is and always will be a source of comfort for every single human being. Always. And so I think that where it starts to become viewed as this like bad thing and where it starts to be demonized is in the space of diet culture when we are restricting, when we are talking about foods as good or bad, when foods start to have moral value placed on them, because then we feel guilty for eating the ice cream. So then we don't eat the ice cream, but then that's what we actually really enjoy. So then of course, when we're in an emotional state, we want something that we enjoy. So we want the ice cream, but then because we're not ever having it, we end up having way too much of it. And then we feel sick and then we feel guilty. And then it's kind of like that binge restrict cycle and all of these components work together. But if you have a healthy relationship with food, the emotional eating experience doesn't look like that. You know, like we didn't go to a convenience store and load up on everything on the shelves in the local Max or 7-Eleven or I don't even know what they have in America because we didn't go to any. But you get what I'm saying, right? Like we had the food that we wanted to have and we enjoyed it, but that was it. It wasn't this whole thing of like, well, now I have to feel bad about it and now I've got to make up for it tomorrow and I am an emotional eater. I think having that label on yourself can be so damaging too because we're all emotional eaters. Like inherently, we are all emotional eaters. So I think that, yeah, it's, it's really just, it needs, the conversation just needs to look a little bit different. Again, I think when people say emotional eating, they again, I always go to negative emotions as well, but hardwired in our DNA and just as people, we 
to celebrate as well. You think totally. about weddings, birthdays, you think way back to hunter gather when they, they shot, they, they hunted an animal and got a big kill. There's a lot of food. They would always have a big feast and a banquet. So that connection with food and emotion is natural and it's not something you should ever shy away from. Totally. I think too, just getting curious about it. Like what are your experiences with emotional eating? Is it typically an out of control experience? And if so, why? And just peeling back the layers a little bit. Like, you know, if you're thinking about even a wedding or a birthday or something exciting like that, is it an experience where you are like, okay, I know that, you know, I'm going to have this buffet experience tonight. So I'm going to save up for it so that I'm not overeating today. And if you are afraid to overeat, why? Like asking yourself why, where does that come from? And again, like really just getting to the root of it. If you are, if you would say that you struggle with emotional eating in terms of what you're eating and how much you're eating, backtracking. Like, why is that a struggle? Is it because you haven't eaten enough during the day? Is it because you're making those foods off limits? Is it because you have food rules? Is it because you simply just feel like emotional eating is a bad thing so that elicits feelings of guilt immediately as soon as you start to do it? The bottom line is that emotional eating is not a bad thing. I will say, however, if that is your only form of coping and if it is being used as a tool to numb, that's a different conversation. So if it's being used in parallel to how you might use alcohol or drugs or porn or gambling or whatever another vice might be to numb unwanted or uncomfortable emotions, then yes, certainly it's not helpful. It's not supportive. But if it's something where you're watching a sad movie and it's sad and it's emotional and you really just want some ice cream, there's nothing wrong with that. If it's a situation where you get in a fight with your significant other and you eat to comfort your emotions and then you never actually address the root of that fight and you never actually have a conversation about it, that's not helpful. So I think that that applies to everything though. If you are, you know, we could say the same thing for exercise. If we got in a fight and we both decided that we weren't going to talk about it and we were just going to go for a run instead to like calm ourselves and then we never actually followed up on the conversation, that's not a healthy coping mechanism. If it's a situation where we were in an argument and both got heated and decided we both needed to cool down so we both were going to go for a run and revisit the conversation after, that's different, right? So I think you just have to get really clear and actually understand like what your relationship with food is, what your relationship with emotional eating is, but just know that at the end of the day, it's not a bad thing. I think that I would, I think we would one more topic as well. Yeah. We were going to talk about how nutrition has kind of changed through training for Ironman kind of race week. And now, because a lot of people are often surprised to hear that like we both eat intuitively as athletes. And I think a lot of people wonder like, well, what does that look like? Like, are you just eating the same amount of food when you're not training for an Ironman? And how do you know that you're getting enough? And how do you know you're not eating too much? And all of those questions surrounding how to eat intuitively when your body is changing, like when your energy expenditure is changing, when your daily needs are changing. Yeah. And I would like to think that if, if you didn't follow some kind of nutrition program, that it would, it would just be impossible to keep track of everything. And it would literally be a full-time job to try and track every little thing, especially with how much exercise we do to kind of monitor your calorie, calorie expenditure versus intake it would be impossible. And I really feel like the only way to do it is to eat intuitively and listen to what your body needs. 
because yeah. naturally it does tell you what it what it wants but you have to be willing and able to listen yeah is, is the key you have to understand like and listen to your body about what it actually needs and there's a lot of different tools to help develop those skills it's called interoceptive awareness is kind of the term to to identify like being able to respond to your hunger cues and your fullness cues and cravings and specific nutrient desires and needs and there's so many other components outside of food and body as well but yeah, it definitely like the fact that we were like eating felt like a chore. You know, the amount of food that we were needing to consume already in and of itself felt like a chore. I can't imagine if we were also having to punch all of those numbers into an app every single day. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, w- it would just be exhausting. Yeah. Because you know? yeah, we definitely were going from eating, or at least for myself, I've eaten, you know, six or eight pieces of toast with breakfast. And that was just one meal mm-hmm. to now just having maybe three, four. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which maybe is still more than usual, but that's just what my body needs right now and what it wants right now. Yeah. Um, and there was no like intentional thought of, okay, I'm not exercising, I need to restrict. It's more of what do I feel like having, what does my body want? And it's naturally down-regulated like that. Just like I'm probably eating one or two less meals per day just because I'm not exercising to the same capacity. Yeah. And it's just really interesting how, how quickly your body adapts mm-hmm. and how if you do – actually allow yourself to kind of go into autopilot mode that way your body will naturally figure out what it wants and i don't you don't have to be obsessive about tracking every little thing to try and maintain no you just your body will find where it wants to be naturally it is really beautiful when you can get to that space of not having to step in and control everything that your body just does the work for you it tells you like you said what it wants what it doesn't want how much it wants and I actually made a post today. I don't know if you saw it or not, but I was mentioning that I've actually been struggling with my appetite a little bit. So obviously my appetite has decreased because I'm not training as much, but also I think partially just a stress response slash probably just a response to how much food we were eating when we were training. And now I just like don't really want food. Like I'm just kind of like turned off because we were consuming so much of it. So one of the experiences that I've been having is really needing to check in with myself and be like, okay, you might not be hungry right now, or you might not want to eat right now, or this might not sound appetizing, but your body needs fuel. Your body still needs to eat. Even if I'm not hungry at two o'clock, if I haven't eaten in three or four hours, like it's probably time to have another meal. And that is a part of intuitive eating as well, is just knowing that this is what my body needs. And so I think that that's a situation where like, yes, you do give yourself permission to step in when you know that, like, if you're thinking about, you know, raising a kid again, for example, if your kid wakes up and they're like, Oh, I don't want breakfast before I go to school. You're not just going to let them go to school without eating breakfast because you know that they need to eat breakfast. Their brain needs fuel. Their body needs fuel. Like all of those things are so, so, so important. And so yes, absolutely. There is the one aspect of just like taking your hands out of the pot and stop trying to manipulate everything but on the other hand knowing that like your body still needs that respect of getting consistent fuel yeah you definitely have to recognize where you're at as well like you said we know with kids they're growing and their calorie expenditure is going to be ever increasing so it is something you kind of have to push a bit even like you know yourself you're like in a really stressed state right now you're also injured and, you know, it's really common with people and after they go through any kind of injuries because of the stress and that, to tell, they often like lose quite a bit of weight mm-hmm. just because 
yeah, that those appetite cues do leave. So, but it is important to keep fueling yourself in order to facilitate that healing process and to just stay healthy. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I think the other thing too, just thinking about like stepping in and maybe like overriding your body's natural cues is when we were training, like, yes, we would eat in response to our hunger, but we would also eat during training. So for example, if we had a really long bike ride, let's say a five hour bike ride, I might not be hungry an hour into the bike ride, but I know that if I'm going to get through the bike without bonking, without hitting a wall and crashing and feeling good and for optimal recovery, I need to eat at that one hour mark and also at that two hour mark and that three hour mark and that four hour mark. And that's just what we would do. So again, may not be hungry at those times, but in order to get through and feel good and for our bodies to recover in the way that they need to, like, that's just what we know we need. That actually is a good point because yeah, when we are exercising, especially those longer ones, I actually, the eating is the last thing I want to do usually yeah. when I'm working out. It's you, I want to just maybe just have some water, basic things, but I don't want to be eating sandwiches and drinking and eating gels and just these sugary, th I don't know, they don't really appeal to me that much, but you have to do it. I think that's why, like, yes, I said, you have to go on autopilot, but I also think it's important to have a bit of nutrition background. I know Chelsea does teach that and it's important to have a general understanding of nutrition um, and what different foods provide you. Mm -hmm. Like, right, that's not saying good things are good, things are bad. It's just, what do these foods give you that these don't? And, and, and when you can recognize that, you can make those informed choices. Mm -hmm. And in combination with that and listening to what your body needs and being introspective, you find this perfect balance in life with food where you, where, you, where you have a healthy relationship with food and it gives you what it needs from a nutrition standpoint and from an emotional standpoint. And it's not something that consumes all your time and all your energy. Mm -hmm. It's just something that happens. Mm -hmm. and, and it's just a great place to be in. I do think it's so important. I'm glad that you mentioned that too, to have that nutrition education because it's great to say like, I just have to give my body what it needs. But if you don't know what it needs, if you don't have that understanding of like, this is what a balanced meal looks like. This is, you know, these are the nutrients I need to get in a day. This is approximately how much I need to be eating. If you're not aware of that, if you don't know what hunger and fullness actually feel like, it's going to be really difficult to establish that. So I do think that you're right, that having that foundation is so, so, so important. And once you can get to that point where you can honor what your body needs from a nutrition standpoint, but also what it wants from a satisfaction standpoint, everything becomes so much easier. And I will also just say without getting into too much of a conversation about this, but all of this becomes even more easy when it's not about how you look. And that was something that I talked about in episode number two, which was how Iron Man has changed my relationship with food and my body. And both of us actually talked about that in each of our interview episodes with each other about how our relationship with food and our bodies have changed since being together. And just that, yeah, like it becomes so much easier to actually sit down and listen to your body and ask it like, what do I really want right now? What am I interested in eating? What is going to feel good? What's going to taste good when it has nothing to do with the way that you look? Any other lessons that you had coming out of the race day, babe? Anything else that you want to share? No, I think that about wraps it up. And I think that'll probably wrap up this podcast too. Yeah. Okay. I love that. I think that was a great conversation. High five.
Nice. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. I hope that you all got value from that. If you have more questions about this conversation, about the race day, feel free to reach out to me. I will also just say thank you so much to everyone who already did reach out and send all of your love and support. It seriously meant more to me than I can even explain. So thank you so, so, so much. Thank you for tuning in and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you guys got value from the show, I would love for you to rate and share it. And if you have any questions about the conversation today, you can always find me on Instagram or Facebook at Chelsea Glubish. Catch you on the next one.